welcome back to First Time Mums Chat. I hope you had an enjoyable festive season. I now wish you and your family well for a prosperous 2024. I've enjoyed having a short break and I'm feeling refreshed and ready to bring mums helpful and exciting content during 2024. I'm kicking off this year with a second chat with Kelly Durbin. I spoke with Kelly late last year about how routine labour interventions can lead to difficulties with breastfeeding. Kelly is a mother of two, lactation consultant, childbirth educator, author and volunteer breastfeeding counsellor. And this week we will be talking about how breastfeeding can enhance or protect a mother's health after giving birth. You'll hear Kelly talk about why breastfeeding is so important and beneficial in helping heal the uterus after birth and decrease the likelihood of postpartum hemorrhages. How breastfeeding can reduce the risks of being diagnosed with diabetes later in life and how breastfeeding can lower the risk of breast cancer, ovarian cancer and endometrial cancer and so, so, so much more. If you're a new mum or if you're about to commence your parenting journey, then you'll know that many women in our modern fast-paced world feel alone and unsupported. Many are isolated and lack support from members of their family, such as their mothers or other close feminine role models. I'm your host, Helen Thompson, and I'm a childcare educator and baby massage instructor with many years experience working with families. I started the First Time Mums Chat podcast in 2021 to help support mums as they face the challenges and struggles that parenting often involves, particularly when getting started for the first time. To help ease your transition into parenthood, I aim to offer supportive, holistic approaches and insights for mums of babies aged mainly from four weeks to 10 months old. In each episode, you'll hear insights from experts and other mums to help you become the most confident parent you can. Let's do this together. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please contact a medical practitioner if you are concerned or have any medical issues. Hi Kelly and welcome back to First Time Mums Chat. I really enjoyed talking with you recently about how routine labour interventions can lead to difficulties with breastfeeding. I'm really looking forward to hearing more of your pearls of wisdom today about breastfeeding and how it can enhance or protect a mother's health after giving birth. So can you please start by telling us about yourself and your background? Yeah, my name is Kelly Durbin. I'm an international board certified lactation consultant. I am also a childbirth educator. And I am very passionate about teaching people about lactation and childbirth. I became a childbirth educator years ago after my first daughter was born. I also, at that time, started to provide volunteer breastfeeding support to people who were in need. And I felt very passionately about having the ability to reach people in the early days of breastfeeding or during my teaching of childbirth education in the days before the birth happens, because there's so much information about 
the birth process and breastfeeding, it pays off to do a lot of education and learning before your birth. So today, what we're going to talk about in terms of maternal health, this is information that anyone could learn during the pregnancy or after the birth. It's valuable information for anybody to, at any time, to learn about. Yeah. So as, as a lactation consultant, you've got a lot of experience in breastfeeding. So how can breastfeeding enhance or protect the mother's health in the short term, immediately after the birth of the baby? That's a great question. So immediately after the birth, the placenta is delivered after the baby is delivered. And that leaves a pretty large wound inside the uterine wall. And because the uterus can and does often bleed after mm -hmm. birth, mm -hmm. it's imperative that the uterus begins to shrink and clamp down on the blood vessels in the space where the placenta detached from the uterine wall. The way that mother nature facilitates this is by breastfeeding. Because when the baby is latched right after birth, breastfeeding causes uterine contractions. And the entire purpose of this is to send the message to the uterus to shrink the uterus down. And that allows those blood vessels to clamp down and to shrink so that blood isn't flowing very excessively or it's not freely flowing from the site where the placenta was attached. So in that way, breastfeeding immediately after birth, and by that I mean within the first 60 to 90 minutes, that helps the uterine wall to shrink. The uterus will eventually go back to its regular pre-pregnancy size, and those blood vessels become smaller and smaller so that they cannot bleed freely, which leads to a dramatic decrease in the risk of postpartum hemorrhage. And that is a life-saving measure for maternal health. So if somebody doesn't breastfeed or if they bottle feed, does that process still happen or does that take a bit longer? It does. I'm imagining that it will take longer. I'm, I don't know all the research on the outcomes for people who don't choose breastfeeding. However, the process does still happen, but breastfeeding facilitates the entire process because breastfeeding causes uterine contractions. It specifically causes that to happen, which is a way that we can influence a decrease in postpartum hemorrhage. Okay. I know that breastfeeding is known to improve maternal health. If somebody had diabetes or whatever, what are some of the impacts that breastfeeding can have? So breastfeeding does have a quite dramatic effect on maternal health and diabetes included. So a 2019 study has confirmed that breastfeeding for more than 12 months can reduce the risk of being diagnosed with diabetes later in life by as much as 30%. And that is for someone who has not yet or ever been diagnosed with diabetes. There are, of course, people who come to pregnancy having already been diagnosed either with type 1 or type 2 diabetes, and some women encounter diabetes during pregnancy, and this is known as gestational diabetes, and it's definitely related only to pregnancy. Gestational diabetes will, in fact, go away after the pregnancy is over. However, people who have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes are at a greater risk for being diagnosed with diabetes later in life. Research shows that if you had gestational diabetes, breastfeeding will lower your risk for being diagnosed with diabetes later on. So that is one way that people can moderate their risk 
In fact, people who have been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes who are insulin dependent, 2009 study showed that some individuals with type 1 diabetes who use insulin every day have been able to lower the amount of insulin that they require, specifically because wow. of breastfeeding, which is incredible. So in some way, it is giving the maternal health a metabolic upgrade, and that is improving their diabetic condition. Mm, that's really fascinating. I'm really intrigued by that. Yeah, it is fascinating. And I think because we know that diabetes, especially type 2, is increasing, this kind of information, how breastfeeding can upgrade maternal health and give such dramatic benefits, should be taught in the um, pregnancy or during any childbirth class. Generally, I, I just don't think this information is getting to people. No, I've never heard that breastfeeding can actually help reduce the insulin dependent. As I said before, I'm amazed by that. I'm wondering whether when they do stop breastfeeding, if they're still dependent on insulin or whether it cures them completely. I wouldn't have thought that was the case. I don't know. I'm only speculating. The study shows that during breastfeeding, while they're actually breastfeeding, I don't think that this is in regard to the period after weaning, mm -hmm. they can lower their need for insulin. I don't believe that the study mentioned any period beyond the weaning. Mm -hmm. I'm not yeah. sure if the benefits continue. However, it's, I, it's entirely possible. I just don't know the answer to that. So what are some other positive health outcomes that women experience after breastfeeding? We all know that breastfeeding, even for the first few days or weeks, has impacts definitely for maternal health, as we discussed about postpartum hemorrhage and for infant health. Long-term benefits are also impacted by breastfeeding for maternal health, that is. Women can lower their risk of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and endometrial cancer, depending on how long breastfeeding lasts. And generally the studies will show that the breastfeeding protection, the protection that's offered to maternal health by the act of breastfeeding is most effective when breastfeeding happens over a long period of months or even a year or years. Certainly some studies show that even four months of breastfeeding has positive health outcomes. Mm -hmm. For example, I read a study recently that showed that there's a 20% lower risk of cardiovascular disease if a woman breastfeeds for at least four months. So you can influence all the factors that are cofactors with cardiovascular disease. And that is an incredible benefit. In fact, it seems like a, a health upgrade, right? So like I mentioned, those three female cancers are also highly influenced. The risk of endometrial cancer can be reduced by up to 11%. And ovarian cancer can be reduced by up to 24% with long-term breastfeeding. What was the first thing you mentioned? What is that cancer? Endometrial cancer, the cancer of the endometrial lining of the uterus. Oh, okay. I didn't know what that cancer was. Also, you mentioned, because I come from a baby massage perspective, so I always think of the bonding and the connection as well. So they're bonding with the baby even after four months some mothers which i think is great actually breastfeed until the child is two two and a half and i think that's a yes. great bonding experience because they're getting all the nutrients from the mother they're getting the cholesterol from an early age and they're getting that skin to skin connection which is all so important and that helps with mental health as well it can help with postnatal depression do you agree with that i do agree and in fact it may be worth mentioning that the world health organization 
And most health departments and government health agencies recommend breastfeeding up to two years or even beyond if it's agreeable for the child and for the mother. Many people have intentions and they set out to breastfeed for a year or maybe even longer. A lot of people just kind of leave it open-ended, but they find along the way that too many things are interfering with breastfeeding. And this is why I think many times when people read the information that you and I just discussed, for instance, all of these health benefits for maternal health, people think to themselves, oh, this is really fantastic. I want to be able to do this. But a lot of times what I find, especially in lactation counseling, is that folks just can't make it work for various reasons, mm-hmm. either mm-hmm. going back to work or some condition came up with the infant or some kind of breastfeeding problem derailed their intention to breastfeed. There are literally tons and tons of yeah. problems that come up and interfere with breastfeeding. And that was really what sparked me to write the book about lactation and how to overcome those kinds of problems. In terms of what the recommendations are, I know that the World Health Organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and very likely government agencies and even the Australian Breastfeeding Association likely recommend the longer-term breastfeeding if people can do it. So two years is the World Health Organization's recommendation. And I just want to put out there to moms that if they can't breastfeed, there's nothing wrong with not being able to breastfeed. I know there are a lot of moms out there who really want to breastfeed or choose not to breastfeed. And it's their decision. Absolutely. And I have learned over the years that people have incredibly diverse reasons for either intending to and not being able to, or not intending to from the start and having to choose formula or making that choice for themselves. As a breastfeeding supporter and lactation consultant, I try never to assume that someone is making a poor choice because frankly, it may be the best choice for their health, for their mental health, or for some condition that isn't obvious to me as an onlooker. So I never want to judge folks who opt not to or can't breastfeed. But I do say that I have learned over the years, truly, that more people want to do it and are prevented from breastfeeding because of the various circumstances that interfere things that come up in their life and they get derailed. I feel that we need more systems worldwide, not just here in the States. We need more systems that support people in reaching their own breastfeeding goals. Because what we find is people set goals and sometimes, it's not everybody, but sometimes they can't reach the goals because of all of the sabotage, things that come in the way. So it, it is definitely not something that is always easy. I will say that. Yeah. I remember my mother breastfed my older sister, but she couldn't do it for very long. I I have no recollection of why. I think in those days, they didn't have the support that we have now. So when I came along and my younger sister came along, mom just decided, right, that's it. I'm not going to breastfeed. Right. And what's odd, Helen, is that your story is exactly the same as mine. My older sister was breastfed for six weeks and my mother decided, I think she got a cold and it was difficult because my sister had a stuffed up nose and she couldn't breathe while she was at the breast. My mom switched to formula at the time and her next two children, one of which was me, she felt more comfortable 
use a formula. That was where she knew how to, to operate. And there was no breastfeeding support. It just um, didn't appear. So people didn't have all the information. And, and still, many people are operating on lack of information. So I do make it part of my mission to help teach people about this. So but you mentioned your book earlier. Does your book cover everything that we've covered here? Is there anything that it covers that we haven't mentioned that you can discuss briefly? Sure. The book is divided into two distinct parts. Part one is about all the things that you can do to support breastfeeding. So supportive measures that you can take during your pregnancy to plan a low intervention birth and things that you can do after the birth that are positives and that enhance breastfeeding. Part two is about all the things that can come in the way that can sabotage breastfeeding or cause you to be derailed from your breastfeeding goals. In that section, I think I counted 76 items that I listed and discussed in terms of things that can sabotage breastfeeding. And in many cases, I give information on how to avoid it, or if you can't avoid it, how to deal with it or mitigate the long-term problems that that particular obstacle is bringing for you. So in that way, I'm trying to help put a spotlight on the real difficulty. We often have these breastfeeding report cards. Our government here in the US releases the breastfeeding report card and they tell you in every state in the US, how are we doing? Some states have okay rates and some states do not have good breastfeeding rates. And people wonder why, why is breastfeeding so difficult? After being a volunteer breastfeeding supporter for 16 years, I can tell you that it's not related to individuals. It's related to this collective force of things that people encounter in their daily lives, people encounter during their birth experience. They may encounter interference from working, like going back to work or not having time to pump during the workday. And all of these things, even some of them might seem minor when you add them all up. This can cause sabotage for breastfeeding and real interference. And many people find that they don't quite reach their goal because of this. And that is what really caused me to think I have to help people in some way. And I really began creating this list, thinking that I would teach this information in a class. After the list grew to be 50, 60 items long, I thought, this isn't something I'm going to be teaching face-to-face. -face. So I eventually realized my best option was to write it all down in a book. Mm. So that's how the book was able to take place. I know in Australia that people encourage breastfeeding. And if somebody sees their mother breastfeeding in the street or breastfeeding in the park, it's a natural process. But in some cases, I think there are people out there that look at the mother and saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing that here. You should be doing that privately in your own home. You shouldn't be doing it in the park. It's not okay to do it publicly. Is that the same kind of thing in the state? It really probably depends on where you live. But generally, mm. every year, I read stories. I hear from people in my work as a volunteer that people are constantly being harassed for breastfeeding. In fact, mm. breastfeeding is legal in any public place where the mother is legally allowed to be. So if she's allowed in a restaurant, breastfeeding can take place in a restaurant. However, people get harassed all the time. Yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah, I don't think it should be that way because it's a natural process. 
it's natural for a mother to breastfeed a baby. And I think you can do it discreetly or you, you don't do it discreetly. It's entirely up to the mother how she does it. I don't think she should be harassed for that. I think it's her choice. And if they feel they want to do it in a restaurant, if they're taking their baby with them, what's wrong with it? I'm in agreement with you there. Absolutely. So, well, I love what you've said about your book. Thank you for sharing all your information about breastfeeding because it's a topic that I spoke about before, but not in so much depth with the pros and cons of it. So if somebody wanted to find out about your book, how can they find out about it? Yes, my webpage is protectingyourpotential.com. You can find me there. And you can also find me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Well, thank you, Kelly, for being here. And thank you for your time. And it's been great talking with you. It has been wonderful talking with you, Helen. Thank you so much for being able to open your podcast to a topic like this. It is very important. And I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with Kelly a second time on the podcast about breastfeeding. If you haven't done so already, I strongly suggest listening to our earlier episode and do check out her book that she mentioned during our chat with over 70 items listed and discussed about what can sabotage breastfeeding. I'm sure you'll agree that it's highly beneficial and informative. I've included a link to where you can get it on Amazon as well as Kelly's website and social media in the show notes which can be found at mybabymassage.net forward slash podcast forward slash one five one. I've also included a link to the earlier episode with Kelly, which will assist you further in your breastfeeding journey. I share each episode on First Time Mums Chat Instagram page. Please support me by following me. I can't believe it's been three years since I commenced this podcast. Please subscribe to First Time Mums Chat via your favourite platform so that you can get quick and easy access to all our episodes when they are live.